Welcome to Ethereal Underground, episode 24. Well, we have a special guest tonight, which is interesting. You know, last few episodes, it's just been me. A couple of people I've interviewed either uh, scheduling conflicts or they weren't feeling well. Some some were traveling um, in Asia. So I've had a series of just me, but I'm glad to have a, a friend and a special guest, Skylas, from the East Coast. And as usual, what I'll do is have him introduce himself, give a little general background. It doesn't have to get uh, very personal if he doesn't want to or give away any names like his high school or but uh, his background will be important, just like the other guests that I have, because it'll give us a perspective of where he's coming from, like what generation is he? He's younger than me. And then uh, we'll start the discussion. And it's not scripted, so we don't know where it'll take us. And that's part of the fun with these ethereal underground episodes. They're very genuine and they're real because it's, it's what we're talking about at the time. So to start, I want to say hello to Skylas. And Skylas, if you would, take a, a couple minutes and a brief background, whatever you feel comfortable with, and introduce yourself to the Ethereal Underground audience. Uh, no problem. Uh, I like that it's not scripted. You never know what I'm going to say. You have to keep up with me. So um, uh, I've kind of lived everywhere, um, had the opportunity to move a lot, which I think uh, turned out to be really beneficial for social skills, just because you were constantly around new people, you wanted to try and fit in. Uh, so it gave me a little bit of a competitive edge that way, um, or a chance to undo <laughs> failures uh, from previous uh, relationships with friends and stuff that didn't work out. It's like, all right, cool, maybe I can learn from that. Um, but kind of went everywhere. Uh, when I was in uh, Texas for a good chunk of my life, I you know was going through school in the early aughts and, um, you know, experiencing the music scene at the time and things like hockey playing, which I know you did too. Um, so uh, growing up and, and being a part of that, realizing where that was headed and how, how competitive it would be, it was difficult. And just wanting to have fun as a kid, started playing music. Um, and that took me some places. It was, it was actually pretty interesting. I had some semi-success with three different bands and got to tour around the country. Uh, so again, with the moving, constantly on the move, constantly around new people. And um, it, was a, it was a good interaction, but you also see the, you see the world for what it is. You start to see um, just the sorrows that people are going through and the things they do to cope. Uh, drugs, alcohol, things like that, trying to find women. Uh, it's kind of, kind of disappointing. And, and for me, it rattled me awake. It helped me to realize uh, there's got to be more to this. I want to be a better example to people because if people are listening to my music and they see me at a show or something like that, and I have a beer in my hands, maybe it's my only one I've had all night, but they say, Oh, I want to be like him when I grow up, you know, did I ruin them? Are they going to be an alcoholic now? So it was like, I felt like I was on display. And if I was going to continue doing that, I needed to be the best version of myself that I could. So really chose to start down a spiritual path at that point and just kind of re align myself with God that I had had from youth growing up. It was, you know, a much different faith at the time, but um, getting myself in line that way. And then ultimately uh, giving up the music career, at least 
uh, in the touring side of things. I still try to write music for myself, but um, focusing on the spiritual thing, just kind of working a normal nine to five now, it's kind of taken me everywhere and brought me over here to the East Coast. So I think that catches us fairly up to now. <laughs> okay, so to, to back up a little bit, are you the only child or do you have any siblings? Uh, yeah, I have a sister, but quite Older, a bit younger. younger. Quite a bit younger, yeah. So nine year difference. Oh wow, yeah. So that you really are the older brother. Oh yeah. Okay, and then <laughs> uh, you spent some time in uh, the Texas area. Now you mentioned hockey. We'll talk a little bit about that because that's we have that in common. But what what would you consider? What generation are you? Like, what years were it that you were in high school? So, like I said, the early aughts, 2000s, um, I would call us Generation Y because I think millennial is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. I don't know why you call somebody a millennial when they were born before the millennium. Stupid. But um, no. Generation X, Generation Y, and Generation Z, they just skipped Y. I don't get that either. But the funny thing was there was a meme that had a guy with his pants sagging because everybody in my generation had saggy pants, and you could see his butt crack was in the shape of a Y. <laughs> and I was like, that's perfect. I get that. Yeah. So I, I was, I think what I'm considered is the MTV generation. Okay. So I think that's generation X. Now, now you're talking about when they actually played music. Right. No. I, yeah. That was interesting. I think, if I, let's see if I remember this correct. Maybe, you know, the, the answer, I think it was 1982 that MTV aired. Did I get that right? It's, I don't know. I got Google. I can find out. Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe you could see. Uh, video Kill the Radio Star was the first. Is that the I Bugle? Believe, I believe that was right. Bug, bug, bugles? Buggles? The Bugle. The, yeah, I think it's the Bugles. The bu No, you're right. The Buggles. Was the first. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was the Bugles, but it looks like it's spelled that way. Yeah, it was 1981. Mm. Oh, 81. Okay, 81. So I remember... Uh, I was in high school in 81, so that, that would have been a freshman, I guess. Yeah. So uh, freshman, sophomore. And that was big to do. But the rich kids, which I was not, the, the rich kids, and I don't want to ramble too much. I want to hear more about your side of the story and your perspective. But uh, it was on cable. Not everyone had cable. So usually it was the rich kids that had cable. And in high school, that was not many, maybe one out of 10 kids had cable. So I remember the chance of MTV, which was a lot of excitement about it. I went over, several of us went over to a friend's house because she had cable and we, we watched it. And what I remember that stood out to me and MTV, which I liked it because, right, it was all, all music. And then they had the MTV jockeys, okay. video jockeys. Uh, the Duran Duran and the police were by far the, the biggest bands that I recall on MTV. This that had an overwhelming popularity and presence. All you had a lot of the English, the new wave type uh, bands, but uh, those two, I clearly remember 
uh, were extremely popular at that time period. So um, you're growing up in Texas, because we'll get into the music in, in, in a little bit. We'd spoken before, and it's the 2000s. Mm -hmm. You were in high, high school. So what was interesting is when I was growing up, the furthest south of the NHL or hockey was St. Louis. Right. Texas, nothing <laughs> south of St. Louis had any um, hockey uh, program. To, and uh, hockey was very strong, very well supported in St. Louis, and so was uh, soccer. But in um, at that time period, you had uh, with the Blues, St. Louis Blues, in the same conference, you had Minnesota North Stars. It's uh -huh. kind of kind of rivals like Chicago Blackhawks, those who were St. Louis Blues fans. But it all changed when that franchise moved to Dallas, right? And then uh, just like, and that was part of the expansion of the South in California when San Jose Sharks came out because L.A. was there for a while with the Sharks, and was to expand the NHL and get the, the southern states and get the kids into it. Because once that franchise moved down there, you you had uh, popping up like mushrooms all over the place, rinks. Yep, that's exactly right. And uh, so you you were, I think you, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you were, you were a benefactor of the Minnesota North Stars moving that franchise to Dallas, becoming the Dallas Stars. Absolutely. And I, mean, uh, you, I was going to say, I think uh, in, in Atlanta, where I was before, uh, I used to watch an IHL team, which was always fun because they fought more. <laughs> and that was way more entertaining. But, um, right. So we had a, a player. His name was uh, Brent Gretzky. It was Wayne Gretzky's, Wayne Gretzky's younger brother that played for the Atlanta Knights. Mm -hmm. So I just remember going at a young age and just being fascinated with it and wanting to learn how to play. So that was really what kicked it off. And once my parents split up and I moved to Texas, I kind of wanted to keep that going. And I got into the stars because they had already moved down there prior to my move. So it was definitely the, yeah. so it's I, just the I, right timing. I grew up uh, as a, um, they call it their, the primarily position is goalie, but it was net minder keeper. Mm -hmm. But um that's that's the position I always tell people. That's a position where you never get credit if there's a, a win and always get blamed if there's a loss. It's like one yeah. of the worst positions to play in. And then I'd always get the the defenseman stealing my water bottle, which always ticked me off. I'm like, hey, you got your own water. I'm out here all three periods. You guys steal <laughs> a quick swig of my water bottle. Let's get out of here. You know. Oh yeah. What you played a winger, correct? Left wing. Yeah, I played left wing. I was one of the few righties that liked to play on the left side. Uh, just easier for catching a one-timer pass, getting a quick snapshot or something away. Yeah. Um, I, I never understood why you'd want to be on your weak side. Like, I mean, you're technically on your strong side because you you can get up against the board, but why would you want to shoot off of your weak side? That doesn't make sense to me. Well, I, so. we would, I, would, I don't know what others, but my generation, I'd call you goofy stick. Yeah, I'm fine with that. A left, a left wing, right-handed shooter. But uh, yeah, that, it's very in interesting. It, to me, the hockey it, it, it got my blood. It's just it's just a feeling I get, and then the, the you know the smell of the ice. Not to mention the equipment from your guy and team that didn't ever wash his pads. Oh man, that's yeah. You talk <laughs> smell about, like hamburger helper. 
<laughs> yeah, smells that are off planetary that you won't even think would be possible can somehow emit out of hockey equipment like you've never yeah some of the stinkiest it's awful it's yep. like guys that have never watched like you never wash your equipment but i always aired out my goalie equipment absolutely for each practice and each game yep i did the same yeah i would air it out I knew some people that threw theirs in the pool to get like the chlorine to just kill it oh yeah i don't, I don't know if that's good for it but they did it i don't know i feel sorry for the poor swimming pool yeah, yeah. me too <laughs> but uh when you when you started, uh, you talked about music, and and I know who you are, but we're gonna, for the sake of your privacy, not get give away who you really are. And it was, um, we'll talk about your music in a minute. I I enjoyed it, and the current music and album you're working on, you're able to give me the MP3 files. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, what what time period? Did you start to get involved in music? Was it the same time that you're playing hockey? Uh, and then what type of musical instruments do you play? And then uh, to tell Ethereal Underground what type of music you played in, because they have no idea what genre. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's nice to have a little mystery, though. It makes me more alluring. But uh, yeah, no, I'll tell them. Um, it, it was about the same time, at least, that I started playing. Uh, when I was really, I say really young, when I was in sixth grade, I got a drum set and started playing that and did percussion in school. Um, never practiced. I like. Well, I think I had a like a problem with listening to authority at the time. If somebody told me to do something, I didn't want to do it. So um, as much as I love drums, I never practiced at the time. Uh, eventually got a bass because I saw a band called Bowling for Soup and... Um, they kind of their bass player was really cool he brought me up on stage let me sing with them and so that kind of inspired me when i was in eighth grade to start playing bass and then i realized nobody likes the bass player so i was like oh, i'm gonna start learning guitar <laughs> kind of taught myself how to play guitar after that um but that was all while i was still playing hockey and then uh, it got to a point where hockey got so political that i just felt like i was really being taken advantage of and not given the opportunities that i should have been so I decided to leave that behind and just for fun, goofing around with friends at school, started a band and it did better than it should have, I think. Uh, and I don't know what the, you know, who's behind all that in this system of things, but uh, yeah, we ended up getting signed and, and went out and it was pop punk music. So similar to Blink-182 or Green Day, things like that. Okay. Yeah. And that was, uh, you told me that was, we're talking a major music label that. Yeah. We, we were on Universal Records. Yeah. So, so that's right. And then uh, is your primary instrument at that point guitar? Actually, no. Um, every band that I played on tour with, I was a bass player. Because <laughs> oh, okay. I always got stuck, man. I, the first time I was in that, in that first band, um, the kid hit me up that ended up being the guitar player. And uh, he had just had a band that had kind of fallen apart because he did some things that offended the other guys in the band. And uh, he calls me. He's like, hey, you want to you play in a band? I was like, yeah, if I can play guitar. He's like, well, I'm trying to keep it three-piece, so I need a bass player, but I'll let you sing. And I was like, all right, I can do that. <laughs> so uh, that's how that worked. And then every time after that, I just got stuck on bass. So I never really okay. cared. Now, do you do you like, do you like, this? Uh, maybe this is a dumb question, do you like singing? Because you're good at it. Uh, well, I appreciate that. Thank you. 
I love singing. I don't think I'm good at it, but I never stop. I've, I, I remember people literally telling me, um, just shut up. You're not good at it. And I would tell them, I'm not singing for you. I'm singing because it makes me happy. Like, I don't care if I'm good. I enjoy it. Um, and ironically, while I was on tour, I was in a grocery shopping uh, checkout line. <laughs> and the cashier heard me singing and she goes, oh, honey, don't quit your day job. And I was like, thank you. I won't because <laughs> I was on tour. <laughs> yeah. I was like, she must have known. Uh, but <laughs> it is what it is. So, yeah, no, I absolutely love singing. In fact, um, with my music, one of the things that I focus most on is the harmonies and things like that, just because it's, it's just so cool to be able to layer things and have uh, the voice, which is a God-given instrument, be something that's prominent. Oh, yeah, a a absolutely. So when you were uh, touring, how, how, uh, how does that work? How often are you, you on the road? And then is it, did you stay in hotels or did you have one of those touring buses or what would you do? Yeah, we were broke, man. We didn't have any of that. <laughs> we, so tour lasted, you know, usually about a month or so, three weeks to a month, depending on the tour. Um, and, you know, everything was out of pocket. Um, now the first band I was in, you know, with the label, uh, every every now and then we, we would get a hotel, but most of it was we got a per diem, and uh, you know we learned how to get really cheap fast food so that we could save our per diem and use it for whatever else we wanted. Right. Um, but uh, at the time we were in a five seater expedition when we started the Warp Tour, and uh, we did that for three weeks with six of us in a five seater expedition. And when you're doing that, that warp, the Warp Tour, if you know anything about it, it's very grueling. You're uh, getting up at seven in the morning to go load all your stuff in. You're spending all day walking around trying to get people to your tent, to listen to your music, to watch your show. Uh, by the time you leave and pack up, you got like an eight hour drive for the next show. So you don't even get to sleep. You sleep while you're not driving. And, oh, wow. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that was that was tough. But that was our first tour. And um, so the next tour, we ended up getting a van, like a 15 passenger van. Mm -hmm. and, and that made it really comfy, or at least it felt like it because we were humbled first and then kind of upgraded. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it was definitely exhausting, but um, I think I answered your question. I don't remember if there was anything else you said. Well, there there was a uh, it's funny mention that there is a show. I don't have I don't have television, but I've seen a couple episodes. I think it's called American Pickers. Okay. Um, like like the garage thing where they go get the stuff out of the garage. Yeah, but people's attics or garage yeah, yeah. and I, I think they were based out of iowa and uh w one of the girls has tattoos all over her arms and stuff i don't know what her name is offhand but they had uh, mike and frank i think when it started and they, they were friends in high school and they they drive around in their van and uh, bargain w with the homeowner and with the camera crew one of the episodes they someone had come across the the original aerosmith touring van oh, and, and it was it was an older uh i don't remember what brent dodge maybe or something but it was an it was an older panel truck like a, a ups the brown uh, delivery parcel pack, like a, okay. a brown up but it was painted a green and then it had uh, Aerosmith and it had like a cartoon character of a, a hippie guy <laughs> walking. Yeah. And um, 
it had been in the woods, I guess, for years, and the floorboards had kind of rusted out. But anyway, I think they, they ended up buying it. Uh, they, they had a whole show dedicated to it, and they restored it. And uh, part of the show is they met the band, Aerosmith, with the restored van. And you could tell it just brought back all these memories. And they they were super impressed. And they remember driving it. And, oh, yeah, I used to sleep over there. And, oh, the carpet. And so you, you kind of made me think of that episode because that was in their early days. Same thing. They were didn't have much money. They would sleep in the van, long days, like you said. Um, and it wasn't certainly wasn't glamorous and easy in the in the early days. Of course, they're a mega band now, and they had yeah. it for decades. But those were their humble beginnings, and that was a neat episode because they they even remembered the fellow who hand painted Aerosmith with the uh, wow, that's cool cartoon character. Yeah, they remembered his name. I thought, well, that was kind of a neat episode. That must have been. I, I don't. I'm not an Aerosmith uh, guru, but sh surely that was early. It'd have to be early '70s. I know they were around in the '70s. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, maybe late to, '60s. I don't know. To think about that idea of you know how big they got and they that you know they were at a similar place to where I was in in you know it's one of those things where you look back and you could think to yourself, oh, is could I have made it? Could I have gotten there? You know, and I mean, genuinely, yeah, I think I could have, but it would have come at a cost, you know, like, where are they now um, spiritually? You know, what what did they accomplish? And it's like, it would have been a lot of fun, but what is, what is fun? How do you define that? You well, know? do you think, do you think I'm not, the closest connection I have as far as Hollywood is, my uh, cousin of mine worked for Paramount Pictures and other large outfits and won a couple Academy Awards, but he's in sound engineering, editing. But and at, at a high level in the music industry or m movie, it seems to me that there there's a – I'll just come out and say it. Not, not everyone, but I, I – it seems to me it's that there's a demonic influence present. And I, I wonder to get to these high levels, if there has to be some type of compromise. You know, I mean, if, if we were to just to, for the sake of the listeners to approach it from a perspective that everybody can understand and, and recognize as valid, um, there are people that help you get to the top by sleeping your way to the top. And all kinds of, you know, Harvey Weinstein, right. all that stuff. So why wouldn't it happen in the music industry? At least, at least on that level where, um, you know, you could say if there was no God or anything like that, are they just simply uh, people that are perverted and want something out of it? Like, I'll give you money, I'll give you fame and success, but you give me what I want. You know, if you were to add to that, the level of spirituality, what's behind that? What's driving those people? What's getting them in those positions where they have the influence and money to offer other people? How did they get that? And and then, um, you know, what are you willing to do? If it was if it was me and it was just simply like a, you know, a sexual thing or something like that, like, no, I, 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 it's not worth it. Why would I ever want that? But then add on top of it, the, the, the spiritual side of it. It's weird to me that there are people that don't view that as a problem. 
Now, I, I can't vouch for every single band that's out there, but um, when you listen to lyrics and you hear people say certain things and, and you really pay attention to what they're saying, either somebody's writing their songs for them or they're very aware of what they're talking about. You know what I mean? It, it's got to be some kind of demonic influence, at least at least in, in certain areas. Well, there's a, a couple things. Let's because it, it's late at night for me and I'm tired. So hopefully I can remember. One is uh, at some of these like halftime shows or some of these major concert events, if you, if you look at the costumes that they're wearing and the stage performance, it's like, what are they doing? Right. It's like bath a bit mm -hmm. type outfits and ceremonies. I'm like, uh, call me stupid. Or I got hit in the head way too many times with slap shots. But this seems like a satanic ritual being performed on stage. It's, oh, yeah. it's bizarre. There was a Katy Perry halftime show. In fact, she's the reason, her, her music is the reason I actually started realizing maybe there's something wrong with the music industry. Um, and that kind of helped me get out of it. But she did a halftime show at one point and she had the song Dark Horse at the time. And it's talking about the apocalypse and things like that. And then she ha there's a rapper that has a line that says, I'll eat your heart like Jeffrey Dahmer. And it's like, ew, that's disgusting. Like, I don't even <laughs> want to hear that. Like, but they put it in a song and it was like a number one hit. And so when they brought her out for this show, it was the one that people will remember with the sharks where they were all in shark costumes, like goofy little cartoon sharks. But this particular song, they brought out all these really demonic things and they started talking about the apocalypse and it was very dark. Now, whether they know what they're doing or not, they're at least making a mockery of what the scriptures are. Well, I, I, the second point is I didn't, I didn't see the movie, but I did listen to a, a Josh Reeves. Um, and, and this is years back, global reality. And uh, he'd done several documentaries and he did a breakdown because I, I think he had a, yeah, he had a music background. And I think he's based out of Texas. And he's late 40s or 50s. A very interesting perspective. For years, he had a YouTube channel, but I, I think he went like a paid prescription. But he did a uh, review that I listened to of a movie called Under the Silver Lake. Okay. Have you heard of that? I don't know, but I'm wondering if this is the movie I was just thinking of the other day, but go ahead. I'm, I'm actually curious to see where you're going with it. Uh, they weren't doing like a witchcraft thing in that, were they? Well, uh, let's see if I've got this right. You said, what was it called? I'm, I'm looking it up now. Yeah, Under the Silver Lake. I got it right. And it was a... Uh, is an independent film festival. Uh-huh. Okay, this isn't the one I was thinking of, but okay, I'm with you. And and uh I think it takes place in Los Los Angeles. But anyway, he he did he did a breakdown and there's a scene. Now you can't see the scenes on the on clips, YouTube hmm. clips. There was someone called the piano man. Under the Silver Lake, and it's a a bizarre movie, but the 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 main 
character somehow is in um, this piano man's house. And there's musical instruments all over, like real famous guitars, Kurt Cobain's guitar, maybe Jimi Hendrix and something like that. And he's a very old, crotchety, disfigured looking fellow behind the piano. And he's playing all these tunes. And uh, he says, perhaps you remember this. And he's playing tunes all from the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. This this old old codger, and he's he's kind of going on that he's he's written all of them. Mm-hmm. Oh, then, like he was he was the reason these songs got big. Somebody took them from him, kind of. No, he wrote them all. Okay, okay. So what's weird, and, and uh, the the uh, explanation, uh, Josh Reeves, uh, when he was going over this, his uh, presentation, which I found very interesting. Uh, and I don't, I won't get this hundred percent correct, so I apologize for that. In the listening audience, those that saw the movie and could do a better job than I'm doing right now, but I get the I guess the impression that he he was like a, a demon, okay, uh, some type of bizarre creature that had had lived because he's talking about I've written all the songs and hits and he keeps playing them that your grandparents, great grandparents and parents have listened to. I've written them all and he's. And he's playing them on the on the piano, and then uh, he uh, it, it's a the particular clip on YouTube. It's violent. He's, he's tries to shoot the younger kid, and the other kid bashes him in the head. I think with a guitar or something of that nature. But wow, it's the, the message that the movie was talking about had a lot of demonic overtones in, in L.A. and a particular. Uh, culture that fake their death and then they go underground and they are waiting for us. I don't know if it's an alien rendezvous or agenda. Yeah. And they're, and they're living underground, but they fake their death above ground. But it had mentioned huh. how this uh, demonic influence is riddled through the music and Hollywood industry. Oh, I'm sure. And, and I think the, the way, I don't think this was just necessarily, they call it a mystic dark comedy. I don't think so at all. I think these were, in a way, clues as to the mysterious world, the underground world, sure. or the dark side of the music and Hollywood industry, and the power that the flicker rate and tonalities have on the conscious and subconscious, trying to influence man and uh, I, I'm careful as to what music I listen to, but as far as TV and Hollywood, I can't tell you the hatred I have for it. I've said many times in 1992, I threw my TV set away. Right. When I was in an apartment complex. Nothing wrong with it. I threw the TV away and haven't had a TV since 1992. I've never missed it. I've never looked back. You didn't wake up one day and see a kid staring at it going, they're here. Is that why you <laughs> threw it away? <laughs> nope. No, I just... Uh, I recognize in 92, the influence of television, despise it. I said, once in a blue moon, obviously there's a, uh, probably a wholesome movie and a good documentary, but overall, I, I think it's well in the 90 plus percent of subtleties and I, I can't stand it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm sorry if I hurt people's feelings involved in that industry. I'm not saying that you are. 
I know there's a, a, exceptions, but to me, uh, my hatred for it is off the chart and I won't support Hollywood. Certainly have never had cable TV or Netflix or any streaming. I haven't had TV since 1992. Never missed it. That was, I ranked that as one of the top 10 best decisions I've ever made in my life. Sure. I believe that. And you know, it, it you got to do what you got to do to protect yourself. And kind of jumping back to that movie you were mentioning, it I got similar vibes from a movie called Rock of Ages. It's it's a like a modern uh, rock musical kind of thing where they take old songs and they try and put a story to it, like eighty songs, hair metal bands, and Tom Cruise is like the the main character, but he always just had this vibe like he sold his soul and he was kind of uh, under the spell that no matter what he could do, he was a slave to the music until somebody else took it from him once somebody else took the torch or you know like what you said with the police and uh, bono once somebody took yeah. the torch uh then he was free so to speak but even more than that the the vibe i really got from what you said is have you ever heard of donald marshall no um i can't give any credence to the you know or lend anything to the credibility of this man um his stuff's definitely interesting but he uh he he's the guy that basically came and outed the whole cloning center situation and uh, he basically, his whole story is that he, uh, they would, much like Avatar, they would take these people uh, in their sleep and they would send their consciousness to an Avatar body somewhere else in a dumb underground military base, you know, um, and they would do sadistic things to them or whatever, or they would just have them entertain them, like the queen and different people would show up there at night with their Avatar bodies and stuff, but they would have these other kids that they would just put in a new body a new clone and then they'd kill it or rape it or whatever they wanted. Um, but he would say that he was able to perform certain tasks with music. He was gifted in some way, where as long as he was playing music that entertained them, they wouldn't hurt him. Um, so what he supposedly claims is that he wrote most of the top hits today, that he was down there and he wrote those songs and they kind of call him this magical boy. And so every time they'd go back, they would make him write another song so that they could make money off of it and stuff. Sounds very similar to that movie you're talking about. I don't think yeah. that his story is necessarily real, but you know, with how weird this world is, I, I can't say for certain. Well, wasn't there a, this is, this is terrible of me as an interview interviewer. I, <laughs> I apologize because I, I don't have a, correct facts or figures uh i'm i'm gonna listen to this recording and go what do your homework next time did you ever hear it wasn't too long ago i don't know maybe four years ago there was some rapper who talked about that yes i know exactly who you're talking about B you talked B. about clones yep and he said it with a straight face he seemed very Yep. Serious, serious. Believe it or not, I'm not like a forensic or a profile expert, like an FBI or, you know, people that are skilled with body language. But at my age, in my in my fifties, when he was talking about that, I I thought he's he's not giving me any indication he's lying or fibbing. No, he raps about it too. Like it's in his. He songs. was like straightforward. Uh, his eyes, he wasn't looking down, he wasn't shifting. And I'm like, this, this this kid is, he wasn't joking when he made that statement. I wonder, yeah. I just, I, I don't know him. I no. just wonder what, if he, he did a truth bomb there or something. Right, because right. he also talks about that guy I mentioned, Donald Marshall. Donald Marshall. And Donald Marshall also talks about B.O.B. 
so I mean, it could just be some guys with a good story trying to make some money. But like you said, when you when you pay attention to him and listen to him, it's like, what has he got to gain from that? Like, he just sounds like a, a quack. Well, I do, and I do know, and in, in some of the science research that I'm involved in, I, I do know it's bizarre. Try and explain. I think field theory is a more accurate explanation than atomic theory. But logos, what I've noticed is logos. If it's a corporate logo on liquids, like a coffee chain or an energy drink alcohol or, or soda type beverage there is a phenomenon that that a corporate logo can emit a code or a frequency into the water content of the beverage hmm. that's incredible so what do i mean by that well we could tell i'm not mentioning any names just like today i didn't mention any hockey or um picking on any particular Hollywood. The only singing mentioned at Duran Duran and police, but that was in a, in a polite manner saying how popular they were when MTV came out. But I'm always, I'm always careful to not step on anyone's toes. But if we took a, a particular uh, coffee company or, or a energy drink and we take a process of purifying and then restructuring the water. And, and that water is put in one of those cups or cans. And then that cup or can is put on a plant versus the same generation plant. If it's a tomato plant with the other water, it'll, it'll stunt that plant's growth. Like pouring the pouring the liquid into it, or literally just in a cup on the on the soil. Well, we'll take the water after we've entered it. We've neutralized. We've figured our way because water has memory, right? And so we we've wiped the water's memory, so it's it's clean, it's filtered water. But then we take the water and put it in that cup, or in that can or bottle of energy drink. Okay. So the cup or the can has the corporate logo on it, and, it, and it's a completely uncharged un there's nothing written on it the water is clean and then once yeah. it's in there it starts getting signaling from that right so we let so i let the water sit in there for a day approximately a day and then take that water and pour it into plants and it it retards and stunts the growth of the plants wow. it sounds like the what uh, dr amoto uh, his stuff yeah, the, you know, yeah, and I have a lot of yeah, and I have a lot of his notes. It was given to me by a fella in Nashville. Oh, that's cool. Like, what what happens is the the logo is able to imprint or code the water content if it's coffee or an energy drink. So if it's retarding, and I would estimate getting the plant ill. What do you think it does when you drink it and it's absorbed through your stomach lining? Sure. I mean, anything, I mean, like, it's, what are you putting into yourself? What are you allowing? You know, you're, you're a temple. 
right? And you're supposed to care for your body and, and cherish it. If you're putting things in there, you know, you, you wouldn't willingly drink cyanide, but so carelessly, we always just grab whatever's available or whatever we're used to or what our friends are doing or what's the new thing. You know, I, mean, I think you've probably seen the, the video of the lady who was a little fanatical about it and probably lost uh, some credibility for just the way she acted, but the whole monster can, or sorry, we're not saying names. <laughs> the energy drink can <laughs> that had um the the logo was three vavs the hebrew letter vav which is the sixth letter okay. so it would have been a 666 on the can right um and and there was also a pagan cross in the middle of it mm -hmm. um so you know if those things are on there even just subconsciously they must be doing something to your mind uh but if they're having physical effects from the experiments you've done um it's definitely something for us to keep in mind and really ask ourselves, is it worth it? Do I need this? You know, is, is it something I could maybe wean myself off of or create new habits that are healthier? Well, what's, what's interesting is the, 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 the scriptural reference, you know, this, this interview is, if some of you are ready to hit the, pause button or roll your eyes. No, it's, I'm not getting into TV evangelizing at all. But the the uh, what's interesting, these scriptural references, I call, there's a lot of water-centric miracles and aspects in these ancient texts. Because in the G Genesis account, first of all, it talks about Earth being a water planet. It was formless and stuff, right? Yeah, and it was water, and then the Holy Spirit goes to and fro, and, and then landmass, the, the sequence mentioned in Genesis. And then you major events, you fast forward, you've got the flood of Noah's day. Real quickly, is, have you ever made the connection between the Spirit hovering over the waters and Jesus walking on water? Yeah, I would get, 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 get to that. See, so you're already getting ahead of me. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I'll have you, I'll, I'll turn it over at your show and then you can interview nope. Here's what you do. You just edit it out and you make it sound like I didn't say a thing. <laughs> the edit, edit needs too much work. I don't, I, I gotta, I gotta post this and then and go to bed. There'll, there'll be no editing, but uh, you have uh, uh, in Noah's day, that was a, like a major reset, a, a water event. And then you have, the Israelites, Exodus out of Egypt, Pharaoh, enraged, changing his mind. So they come thundering down with chariots to confront and trap the Israelites against the Red Sea. So you have the parting of the Red Sea. Um, fast. There's others. I'm just fast forwarding some of the highlights. Jesus comes on the scene and what initiates the prophetic messiah was his baptism so that's a full water immersion event the jordan river then holy spirit descends what's his first miracle water into wine water into wine and then uh he would make a paste with his saliva right for the blind or, or deaf the ear that well what's saliva water yeah you're here and then uh the rivers of water. Like when he had that clear. guy bathe in there or, or go submerge himself to be healed or something like that. Yeah, lay, layman with the, the leprosy and 
and the bait and then the, the waters of life. So you have this water. Well, that's why uh, scientifically I said, you know, water's mentioned a lot. Uh, he spilt out his blood, the ransom. What's blood? Water and water and blood specific to the DNA in each individual person. So the, his blood being poured out, sacrifice. So I thought, you know, this isn't by mistake. It's water, everything water. And then when I understood field theory and the water molecule, energizing the water molecule, the bond angle, 104.5 degrees to 108. For example, 108, sacred geometry, 1 plus 8 is 9, the 369, the Tesla and everything. Then the, my, my research really took off, and I started to understand a whole complete different reality that's never taught. can't find it in books. It's not taught in traditional academia. And uh, water is crucial to an organic Humans, plants, and animals must have water. What is so-called NASA or other space agencies, what do they look for when they send out probe missions? Water. water, right? Water. If it's a moon, an asteroid, a planet, they're always looking for water. So water is definitely a secret to life. They've they, the system engineers the powers to be have definitely dumbed down mankind as far as the importance of water and what it really does. I'm starting to find out the hard way, discover what really water is. And then when you get into these beverages and containers and logos, uh, also certain foods, because there's water content in foods that they, let's say the bad guys, they have definitely figured out the secrets of water and the importance of not getting energized, let's say spiritual vortex water available to humans. And then there's natural water sites all over planet earth where uh, I've understand. And I think Victor Schauberger and others in the 18, late 18, early 1900s, brilliant minds, uh, other civilizations knew I'm just late to the game, like a retard figuring this stuff out slowly you're ahead, slowly. Of, you're ahead of many of us yeah that uh there's there's natural all throughout the northern southern hemisphere natural water sites the configuration of geology that energize water but what i'm noticing is there's two main culprits a corporation and a sovereign fund that have been slowly for decades buying up all these natural energy water sites and then they become off limits to the general public. So something's going on there. Have you ever uh, looked into mud fossils or whatever, like anything like that? Or like, I don't, does that even sound familiar to you? Um, basically, these these things that people have done some research where they're locating different uh, sites on the Earth from like Google Maps or something, where you zoom in on it from you know a satellite view, and something comes across looking like uh, you know, some kind of uh, you know, fleshy tissue or, or maybe it looks like a heart or an eye or something like that. And they find out that in, in these areas are mineral rich uh, things that are good for that part of the body. Uh, now, people use this to say that the earth is filled with giants and things like that. That's their whole thing. Uh, some kind of titans or something like that. 
Um, but just the way that a carrot, when you cut it, it looks like an eyeball. It's good for your eyes. You know, kidney beans are good for your kidneys. Um, all these different things, yeah. you know, it, it, they're seeing stuff like this in the, in the earth from these aerial viewpoints. And they're wondering, you know, is there, is there a mineral rich deposit there that would be good for whatever that body part looks like? If it looks like a lung, if it looks like a heart and, and it almost looks like the earth has living tissue to it. It's very bizarre. Um, it could just be, you know, something that, you know, mimics life or, you know, because it's a fractal. Uh, but it is, it is very interesting. And, and it, it goes to that same idea of, you know, whoever these people are, they know what they're doing and they know they don't want us to have access to it. So those things aren't taught. Oh, uh, right. Of course, of course not. They, they definitely, there's a drive to general human society, I think, to put a wedge or disconnect us from spiritual enlightenment, spiritual insight connecting to God, source, the divine, d different uh, descriptions. Uh, Isaiah mentions the dynamic energy existing in heaven, or we uh, I use the term counter space. But the native, what I thought was interesting is that the various tribes, what we would refer to in the United States or Canada, the native Indians, they would name waterways based on the water's characteristic. Right. If it's if it's rivers or lake bodies. Well, they I think that these uh, indigenous individuals were much more connected to earth and understood water way better than we do in this 21st century. And naming these waterways was passed down generation to generation, and certain waterways they stayed away from. Others, they would travel in these pilgrimages to get to these waters if they had specific healing properties, and that waterway was named accordingly. Okay. Who, who's got that skill set today in the United States? Is, is there any 12-year-old uh, or 30-year-old that's been in? No, that's, that's no, been lost for, what, three, 400 years now? Yeah, we're dumbed down. Everything they teach us right. is a distraction. But what I meant to say with the whole mud fossil thing was that it, it seems like the rivers are like the blood vessels. They're like pumping life to the planet, the same oh, way our blood vessels pump blood to our body. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. And uh, depending on the on the rivers, rivers are designed to meander. And sometimes they have a easily they could have an 80 mile wandering path over a 500 year period. Or the, they'll snake from left to right 80 miles. Uh, oh, over like, like the river will change shape. Yeah, it'll change shape over, over a 500-year period, and they have satellite mapping where they, they, they can look at layers, and you can see, for example, with the Mississippi or Missouri, where it used to be and where it is now, and, and you see this natural meandering. Well, when you dike, dam, and levee rivers and prevent that 500-year progression from left, left to right, that's affecting 
what you said, I agree, would be affecting the Earth's circulatory system. So would that be like the Earth's equivalent to getting the vax? <laughs> <laughs> getting clogged uh, up? Getting... Yeah, right. Right. So uh, rivers, as you even just a basic high school or science background, rivers are a huge uh, mineral depository. And when, when rivers flood, it'll deposit the minerals in these floodplains. And then that enriches the soil for cycling. If you have a major river that averages a 60 or 80 mile left to right wandering over 500, what, what, what it's doing is it's mineralizing an 80 mile wide huh. by possibly a thousand miles long agriculture. When you, when you stop that, you're, you're limiting the precious mineral deposits over a 500 year cycle. So you're limiting a possible 80 mile wide by a thousand miles long and arresting it to simply a, a 12 mile uh, flooding zone, mineral deposit, wow. and shrinking your rich agrable farmland. I mean, imagine if your body, if there were certain areas like your legs that just didn't get the, you know, the iron that they needed or didn't get the vitamin C that they needed. I mean, why would we do that to the earth? I mean, is that why so many lands lay fallow? You know, because they're just not getting the the minerals they need to continue producing. You're right, and then uh, there, there's also we're not connected to to nature, but um, there's been a, a gross mismanagement of the earth because of a mercantile economic model. Where, where you have commercial farming, pesticides, herbicides that are used. You have uh, mining of rare earth material that, that's, that scars the land so that uh, profits can be made with currency. In, in the right. banking system. So the earth is being mismanaged and raped. And as consequences, the uh, earth will retaliate. And it, it, there's multiple ways that it can retaliate. Huh. Uh, the scriptures mention that also earth can retaliate, especially if it's instructed from heaven or counter space. Exactly. Yeah. You just got to wonder how much of the, um, mismanagement has been intentional like the percentage of people that are doing it with intent that have knowledge and insight on those things that are using it for wicked ways versus the percentage of just ignorance for money and profit you know how many people don't even know they're doing it but they're trying to get some financial gain out of it i wonder what the actual percentage is are there five yeah, percent yeah. or one percent of people that are actually doing it with full demonic intention or is there a good 50 plus percent that are doing it that way? And we're just, we're ignorant of their designs. I don't know. Yeah. I think if I, if I had to guess, I would say it's a smaller percentage that are demonic and know it's, but I'd say the larger percentage is uh, the profits. And then it's, you know, it's all about 
plastic and leather. Mercedes, BMWs, sending kids to a certain private college or living in a certain zip code area, which to me doesn't mean diddly squat, but they're motivated through material assets or a lifestyle that they think gives them a social status or recognition. So maybe they're basing, I think a lot of people base their identity on what they do for a living, the assets that they have to measure success, which which to me is a, a fallacy. It's, it's a trap. Well, one of the reasons why I say that, this, this might sound stupid or bizarre, but I'll say it anyway. <laughs> Once in a while, I'll see, like on, uh, even though I did get rid of TV, once in a while, I'll, I'll watch like a YouTube video and, or a type of streaming of uh, an auction, like a car auction. And it's interesting, you'll see uh, the auction off a collection. And I have no idea. Let's say the Peterson collection. I'm like, who's Peterson? I don't know. But it's it's a car auction, and they've got the red carpet, and the guys are pushing the cars, and they've got gloves on, and they're pushing the car. Someone's steering it, and you know, we'll start to bid at ten thousand, maybe 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 fifteen, you know, the car after car. It's the Peterson collection. I don't know, and it's a bunch of Corvettes and everything. So what happened? Which is interesting. Every time I look at that, I go, here's a here's a fella. I don't know. Obviously, he was successful somehow because it's like a one and a half million dollar collection it's a series of corvettes or whatever it is he obviously kicked the bucket probably had these cars over 30 40 50 year period you can tell he loved them took care probably had it in a heated garage okay. uh, which wasn't cheap to store all these cars and they were in pristine condition maybe even had what i call the jay leno syndrome he probably even had mechanics to help him and uh it's funny that, you know, you being from a northern place, you say heated garage. I would think air-conditioned, because <laughs> that's what I grew up with. Living oh, in yeah, whatever. No, I'm up north. It's heated <laughs> in our case, yeah. So uh, they, I, I get the impression I see this. You know, it's a beautiful car collection, I'll admit that. And a lot of these cars are really pieces of art. They're that pretty. It's just it's a perspective. Some people have a rare painting hanging on the wall. But these these uh, beautiful cars, and it's it's restoring history, and a lot of men are attracted to cars because it brings back memories. They can identify with a particular car. Maybe it's a car their dad had or their first car at age sixteen in high school, and uh, taking their girls out to a drive-in, and it was a '68 Camaro, so they're fond of it. I understand that part of it, but I thought, you know what? I bet you this illustrative uh, example, Mister Peterson, probably wasn't dead twenty-four hours his body barely getting cold and the family's like, sell it, sell his collection. Yeah. We want the cash. And they showed a complete disregard by, I never liked that car collection anyway. And it's, you know, the warehouse and the, in my case, the heating of the garage and every sell it. And I'm thinking the, the guy worked his whole life, accumulated all these material possessions, enjoyed it. But as the scriptures say, when he died, you can't take any of this with you. The family sold, he probably turned over in his grave to realize the family sold it off as soon as they could. They wanted the cash. 
And because it's auctioned off and they're in a hurry, they probably sold it for 50, 60% of what they should have gotten. I mean, that's what that guy gets for not being a pharaoh. You know, you get buried with your belongings. He should have thought Ooh. about that. Yeah, well, there's a thought. They're <laughs> buried with your with your car collection. But when I look at that, I did that runs through me. Is that always the case? No, maybe not. Uh, once in a while, you can tell someone sells a car or two, and they're kind of teary eyed because it was part of the family. But in this case, you can tell they're just the family's wanting the cash. They don't have the attachment that whoever died but it's it's the fact that how many people that if if you're fortunate to live late 70s 80s maybe early 90s that that would be phenomenal how many people have spent the majority of their life in a higher sense developing their spiritual side of life and connecting to the divine god and creator Versus how many were chasing plastic and leather, kicked the bucket, and really haven't developed the spiritual. They they got the physical part of the human experience down pat. Yeah, and it stops right there, right? That's stops the right there. Yeah, I had a buddy of mine that was uh, you know trying to encourage me to pursue you know pursue money. Like you got it, you got to make it, you got to work hard, you got to do overtime, you got to do all this, you know, slave for the dollar. And it was like, why? I mean, how do I know I'm going to make it five more years or, you know, to retirement? Like, I, I don't have that assurance. I'm going to make sure that I live in a way that I can focus on what needs to be done spiritually and that I can feel joy. You know, it doesn't have to be joy from going and living a reckless life, but joy from a sense of being and a sense of, uh, you know, having a purpose or feeling like I'm doing something worthwhile for, for God or for myself or family. Right. So Jesus mentioned in Matthew, the sixth chapter about storing up treasures in heaven versus treasures on earth where rust and moth or thieves can break in yep. and steal. So basically he's uh, and I always uh, talk to people once in a while. I go, well, what what do you think? What kind of real estate holdings and pension did Jesus have? <laughs> He, he was he didn't realize he was putting stocks away the whole time he's got bonds and <laughs> yeah yeah i think he well wasn't he originally one of the original apple stock get it apple garden of eden yeah that's right <laughs> <laughs> bad joke terrible joke uh but no he, he uh, actually he in a proper place he understood plastic and leather as aspects as the scriptures mention a a world system of things that's under an influence uh, it mentions uh, Satan and the demons, but he focused his time and energy uh, on the the spiritual. And then when when he left this earthly scene, those words were written down for us. So I always I, I read that in other scriptures, and I self examine. I go, well, where are you? What are you putting your faith, confidence, and trust in your time and energy? Is it pursuing? treasures of a physical standpoint or are you building up spiritual insight and treasures and content it seems to be working because i'm always doing the checks and balance as far as internally where i stand right it's good to reassess that you, i mean you can't just assume that you're doing right i mean we see so many people who are narcissistic in their personalities where they just assume that everything they're doing is good and everybody around them is the problem 
and they don't ever look at themselves and go, all right, where am I? And, and what do you compare it to? You know, the same way that we know we're going a certain speed because we compare it to something that looks like it's not moving, right? We got a stop sign. Okay, well, the stop sign is not moving, so I'm passing it at 35 miles an hour. Well, tell you what, the stop sign is actually going thousands of miles an hour around the earth. So you have to compare it to something relative. In the same way, we need to find something to compare our spirituality, our moral the compass uh, to something that is rock solid, which we know, you know, in God's word, we have that ability to just look into it and say, do I measure up? Well, yeah, I, n- I never understood uh, people who are, who are gossipers or busy buddies about uh, other members, maybe in a church, a congregation or the community. Because I've always thought, I've, I've got so many issues and concerns in my own life. I, I don't need to stick my nose in, in my neighbor's business. Right. I, I, have, I have enough to keep me on my toes uh, to correct. I don't, I don't even like watching a, like a, a TV show or a YouTube video of somebody else's drama. I'm like, <laughs> I, got, I got my own life to deal yeah. with. Yeah, right. No, that's yeah. What I what I need is yeah. Give me a couple more tablespoons of someone else's anxieties and problems, as <laughs> yep. if I don't have a, enough on my own plate. But that, there was uh, it was interesting. So I have to dig up the so I can never find the article again. But it was referencing people's needs and wants over the decades, and it was like uh, in the nineteen. 19- 30 you know the 1930s 1940s needs and wants and the the needs were like less than 10 items in the 1930s and 40s and then the needs crept up in the 60s and 70s and now the needs are like 80 oh yeah and it's and it's sort of a list of things like people need a tv they need a toaster they need a microwave it's like you don't need that but the, those those are classified now as as needs versus wants, and it shows how society has gotten more and more spoiled, entitled, sissified. Oh, I need a washer and dryer. Yep. Well, people washed clothes by hands for like seven thousand years. A washer and dryer is a fairly new GE phenomenon uh, of what the nineteen forties, maybe fifties, right. somewhere. And uh, and it, the the list that got so large now, what people think needs are need, and now included in needs is a smartphone. I was going to say, if you, you cannot have a job if you don't have access to your email twenty four seven wherever you are on the road. If you can't check your work's email, you, you, sorry, you can't work for us. Yeah, <laughs> it's how I mean you can't compete. The only way you can do it is be an entrepreneur. You know, make your own thing. Well, I think it, in uh, it, we're getting. I'll let you kind of have uh, wrap things up, to, and then we can always do a part two. Sure. At, when our schedules line up, because it, it was uh, enjoyable to uh, have an ethereal underground episode without just me chat, chatting by myself. You, you were getting bored was, lately, huh? Yeah, <laughs> I was getting bored. But one thing that threw me for the loop. It wasn't that, that long ago is in a vehicle and there were younger boys in, in the back seat. And, uh, we were driving and I looked in a rear view mirror and I, 
I'm, I'm laughing. I can't figure this out. Maybe you can help me. The two oh of them, God. in the back seat, the two of them were texting each other. Oh, my goodness. How's that even possible? Can you explain that to me? I mean, the only reason that somebody would do that is because they didn't want the other people to hear, you know, and it was like a discreet way of talking behind somebody's back, literally. I mean, okay, that could be, but I'm, I'm I'm thinking, well, I don't know, what, what would be that secretive? I mean, there's, maybe, there's maybe no that's reason. The, yeah, maybe that's the case, but otherwise I'm thinking, you're sitting next to each other. Couldn't yeah. you just lean over and whisper? But I yeah, mean, but, but they, they also, if it was something they didn't want us to hear, at that particular time, it's not, I don't picture them doing that. There was, but we are at a, a a phenomenon in society, which I don't understand. I've, I've many times I've seen at a restaurant establishment at dinner, there's four mom and dad and, and two kids and all four are on the cell phone. Yep. And they're not even talking to each other. No. So like maybe they got their drinks and they ordered the meal. So there's a 10 or 12 minute waiting on the, and they're all, looking down at the phone all four no no one's talking and i'm like that's bizarre i that's to me that's bizarre and i'm the product i grew up in the 80s high school in the 80s but i'm like what are you all four staring at your phone for that's insane what's even worse and i'm admitting this but is recognizing and and having an absolute repulsion for this phenomenon and I have since its inception. Uh, technology has done nothing but bring more pain. Uh, you know, with the invention of the ship came the invention of the shipwreck. Okay, let's make a cell phone. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how good that does. I can't tell you how many times I'm on the internet and it crashes or the web page doesn't load quick enough and I just get frustrated. It's anxieties I didn't need that didn't exist in the 90s. I didn't have that, you know. Um, and, and now I am just as guilty as everybody else, except I'm aware of it. I'm aware of how much I hate it and that I pull out my phone every few minutes to see, did I get a new text? And it drives me crazy. And I'm working really hard actually at the moment, especially in those situations at like a dinner to not pull it out. I want to be involved in the connection to people and even somebody who's aware of it or has been can still get trapped in it. You know, it's that easy to get hooked on something, especially if you have a personality that's easily addicted to anything, you know? Because I think I think today uh, I was reading that probably in in the Western nations, for first world Europe, which used to be first world, <laughs> with that energy crisis, they're all going to be using. Yes, uh, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Be, yeah, using their furniture to heat up the, in the fireplace. But uh, United States and, and Europe, that people uh, look at their phone every once every two minutes on average now mm -hmm. either to see if they got a text or any so every two minutes they're referencing the phone that's you ever, you ever heard of a phantom a phantom text where you feel the buzz oh. or hear the ring and it didn't happen yeah like your leg vibrating and yeah, it's, i mean it, it's it's like a nicotine rush for somebody it's like yeah. oh i got i gotta go get another cigarette or whatever you know that people feel it's but but people won't admit it People won't admit that that's what this is. They just go about it like, oh, no, that's just what life is. That's just where we are now. That's normal. It's not. No, it's not normal. And if you recognize that, you wonder why it was created. What is it distracting us from? And I think it's the point of this entire show, not just this episode, but we need to have a spiritual connection to source. 
we need to be close to God. No, that's it. Yeah, that's well. We we might as well be, be we might as well be as rare as a seventy six AMC Pacer to to say that. I mean, you say seventy six Pacer, I just think of the basketball team. <laughs> 76 pacers <laughs> is that uh now i'm not much on i never really uh was a fan on basketball i'm not nothing against the sport and and the talent in, involved but i i don't know anything about the nba the, the pacers is that uh, indiana indiana yep and indiana. and you know what i'm with you man once you play hockey or watch hockey it's hard to watch anything else it's just it's yeah, so I fast I mean, paced and enjoyable. It's hard to yeah. I don't want to be biased, and also I, to to be fair, I, I look back I, in in playing hockey. It was uh, I, I had a lot of resentment when when I quit playing in in ninety two. I I went, I still have not watched a hockey game since nineteen ninety two. I play a little bit in some men's leagues for a number of years, but I couldn't tell you any of the coaches. Or if there's any expansion teams, uh, I have to be honest. I have zero interest. To me, it was very better. There's a lot of you. You touch on this in high school, but there's a lot of nepotism and bitterness, favoritism shown. Absolutely. And then every team I played for was the last place team, and uh, I'd skate my rear end off, and we make the playoffs. The team had made the playoffs in years. We finally make the playoffs. Of course, always lose first round, and and uh, I had the, the the worst. I was always with the crappiest teams, and uh, I look back. <laughs> and, but back then, I was you know full of uh, energy and very, the, the com competitive. I didn't I didn't like the fighting and swearing part. I, it's a goal and, and goalie. You could avoid a lot of that in the position I played in, but. Uh, and you just throw a cheap shot every once in a while, let yeah. your other guys figure it out. Yeah, or trip them with my stick. But uh, <laughs> he, I, I look, I look back. You couldn't have told me like in my twenties, but I look back and it's I'm not, I'm not, I don't have fond, very many fond memories. Of course, if I say now, if I do it again, I wouldn't have done it. But. Right. Um, the the actual skating on ice is is very liberating. Uh, I like the movement that you, that you get. It, it was very fun sport. It's fast, fast pace. The strategy. I, I enjoyed that aspect of it. But all all those years and hours of playing, I, I probably would have been more productive if I did something else. But I can't go back in time and change that. And so I really don't tell people much about hockey. I don't tell them what team I played on. I could care less. Yeah, I mean it's it's not who we are anymore. You know, no, it's, it's not fun who we to are. do. It's it's fun to play uh, if it's done in the right setting. But wh where's that future? What what does that take you to? So, no, nope, not not a thing. And what's interesting, some of the guys that I did play with, a lot of them, they're like broke. <laughs> I believe it. I'm like, how are you broke? Well, they lost money in car dealerships and mining stocks and everything, and and, and they were making way more money than I I was at, at the time, and and they're broke, and then now that we're in our fifties, uh, the aches and pains, especially the the defensemen and forwards, 
Yeah. They they've got body improv right, and they're, and they're broke. So they're in their they're in my age. They're in their late fifties now, mm-hmm. mid mid to late fifties, and their body's all broken down. I and wouldn't imagine their insurance carries over with them after playing, right? No, uh-uh. yeah. they, they nothing. I mean, they'll get a small pension from the NHL, but it's it's uh, they're not. There's several, even recently, as as of like four weeks ago. I was talking to a couple people and they're in way worse shape financially than I am. And they made like 20 times what I made and, and they're worse off than I am right now. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. It just goes to show you how fleeting the plastic and leather of the world is. It, it, there's, there's nothing there. <laughs> no, it's like trying to catch the wind. Well, we were uh, in a, I'll finish with this, that, uh, and you think in Hollywood, as far as what the world has to offer, if you're a big band, music, or Hollywood, that you've kind of reached the best the world has to offer. There was a, uh, I, I'd say 16 or 17-year-old girl and my brother-in-law uh, had mentioned to her at checkout, he mentioned Clint Eastwood. She goes, who? He goes, Clint Eastwood. She goes, I never heard of him. That's because well, he got canceled. <laughs> well, what was interesting is the, my sister and brother-in-law, the old, older than me, they're in their 60s. He's 70, and my sister's in her 60s. Uh, they had made a comment, which is interesting. He's, he hasn't passed away yet. He's still alive. But that's that do, do you get any higher than Clint Eastwood? No, I don't think so. All the number of movies, the long-standing career, he's 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 up there as far as Hollywood's considered. Yeah, that's the pinnacle. Yeah, and, and the accomplishments that he had. But here's someone who's 16 while he's still alive. Did even and in all sincerity, she goes, "No, I've never heard Clint Eastwood who." And he's yep. so. What what is what does that tell you as far as someone who's still alive? I would never in a worldly sense ever have the success that he had. And here's a 16 year old, never even heard of him, completely irrelevant. It's not like he's uh, Abbott and Costello or Laurel and Hardy. Who? No, I'm just died in the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm showing my age, right? No, but, no, no. I was trying to play with it with, you know, that same idea. It's like all the accolades are gone. You know, they made it. And even while they're still alive, mm-hmm. nobody knows. It's a shame. Well, thanks for being on Ethereal Underground. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. And we know a little bit about your background. Texas, hockey, left winger, right hand shoot. And then you we know that now you can play drums, guitar, and bass. It and just depends. depends on how you like music, you know. You might think I suck. Some now people I might see, like it. No, I like it because you've given me your MP3s yeah. uh, songs, and that. I like it. And right now I can see your you're in your studio because I see a drum set. I yep. see the guitar, acoustical guitar, and it looks like an electric guitar, but the, the light's hitting it. I can't. That's a bass. There's a electrical bass hang, hang, and an electrical leaning against yeah. the amp. So, yeah, you're like you're over here. So, is that your recording studio? Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. That's what and it looks like for me. It's okay. it's one of those things that I did not put the money into at all at once. Some of the stuff's been given to me. Um, some of the stuff was stuff I had like uh, that big giant cabinet on the bottom of the black one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was uh, what I used on tour for bass. Uh, so I've had some of it for years uh, that my parents got me and other stuff has just been slowly. Somebody gave me a piano. Um, it, you just accumulate stuff. <laughs> it's not a, it's not a cheap hobby, but um, you know, to want to produce something that's worthwhile and, and hopefully turn it into something that I can do in a way that's safe spiritually. You know, like I said, you go out there, you tour, you can mm-hmm. get yourself in a lot of trouble. Um, yeah. It'd be, it'd be cool to turn it into a small business for myself, but who knows? We'll see where the world, where, where the, where the road takes me, where the wind goes. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be interesting. And then what, what I like to do, cause I've had uh Raz Wickham, uh, a friend of mine and he's like you musician. He sings and does the drums and guitar, uh, multi-talented. And, um, uh, is uh, I think the the two would be interesting if the two of you uh, ever, ever met. But uh, what I'd like to do is figure out on this ethereal underground is how to play one or two of your songs next time I interview and next time I interview Raz, one or two, sure. of his, so people can hear your music. Because I like it, uh, I think it's you. You did very well, uh, and and his music, you're kind of similar. He's. I think he's I remember constant. listening. His his was a little more metal or rock. Yeah, than mine. yeah, he's yeah. yeah he's a little more uh, what. Uh, oh, who? Uh, it's not Metallica, but Dave Mustang. Which oh, uh, Megadeth. Megadeth, yeah, he's yeah. a big Dave Mus- Mustang Megadeth. And then he's got the he's got all his guitars here. In fact, he uses he uses my studio and he does some recording in here. And he oh, has, okay, that's cool. So he's near you. That's yeah. Well, he's he's in Iowa, but he's uh, from here. I've known him for a number of years. But he'll come down and visit about every six weeks, and then he'll record some things here. So a lot of his instruments are in my studio here, and. Uh, if I can play his song and your song, uh, that would give the audience an example. And, and I think it's nice enough that they should like to hear that. Now, do you, he has his on Spotify and a couple other platforms. Do you do that yet? I do have some on Spotify. Uh, and then the one that I'm working on right now, I sent you one earlier today. Uh, yeah, I haven't heard it yet. That'll be up. In the future, I, I, I want to finish the whole album, but maybe I'll do some singles mm-hmm. along the way. But uh, the last album I did took me about nine months to do. Uh, and I that was kind of working out all of the things that I hadn't figured out, the mixing and all that. That was kind of a, a new lesson for me. Uh, mm-hmm. But now that I've kind of got that down, I'm hoping this one will go a little quicker. But we'll see. You know. Okay. Yeah, like so I'll, stuff out. I'll learn how to do that as far as the editing and drop that in. That I'll just, you know what, I'll write you a... I'll write you an intro song for Ethereal Underground. We'll have here <laughs> something special for you. Yeah, because well, what I do now is Vivaldi. I know, I love it. That's a, that's a, a, he's one of my favorite, and uh, I always have that as the uh, intro. But yeah, that'd be 
Interesting. I don't think I could compete with Vivaldi, but was that Seasons? Yes, it was. All right. Yes, it was. So he's uh, – it'd be interesting if he gets resurrected. I definitely would want to meet him. That'd be cool. And what's interesting is he was a uh, Catholic priest. Oh, wow. What a random but I, I, I don't – I think he was – from everything I've read in history, I think he was honorable. Okay. Um, and and uh, he'd be in- interesting to me. There's so many fascinating people that are in the memorial tombs. The scriptures mentioned have a hope of being resurrected. It'd be nice to be united with basically uh, humanity or extended family. Right. That would be really cool. All right. Well, you have a... Good evening. I know you're an hour later than me, so it's uh, way past midnight your time. Hopefully, it's, <laughs> I didn't keep you up for work tomorrow. Uh, they can they can deal with it. <laughs> okay, and hopefully your wife's not mad that I kept you up this late. No, she'll so, she'll be fine. Okay, she's tell her, all right. Tell her I said hi, and then we'll catch you on part two whenever we have it. All right, that sounds good. Maybe I'll be the first part two. <laughs> Thanks, Chet. I appreciate you. All right.